Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Today we have a crazy story of revenge of literally going to dance on an ex's grave. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, am I petty or is this justified? My parents lost their home in a fire and they needed a place to stay. I took them in and there was of course extra cars that needed parking spaces. What cars did not fit in the driveway was parked on the public street. I had to park one car in front of my neighbor's house but it was still on a public street where everyone parks often. My neighbor never used this space for himself. My neighbor got angry and told me to move the car. I told him my parents lost everything in the fire and they're staying with me for a few months and need a place to park their car. He said, I don't care, move it or I call the cops. So I said, no, it's a public street, it doesn't belong to you, go ahead and call the cops. He walked in the house angry, but that was the end of it. But it got me pretty angry that he didn't have any compassion for my parents who lost everything. I don't live across from him anymore, but my daughter does. So every time I visit, I make sure to park in front of his house. And I honk the horn to let him know I'm there, just so he knows it's me. It's been five years, I still do it. Literally, you can legally do that without any repercussion, and I think you had very good reason. So, in the moment, I don't think it's wrong, but is it a little petty to keep doing it after all these years? Maybe a little. I don't really blame Opie, though, I'm not gonna lie. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you guys enjoy awesome stories of revenge, why not hit those like and subscribe buttons down below? That said, our next story is, you don't have to tip your bartender. I've been a bartender for 7 plus years and I work at a fairly popular bar where I've worked for going on 2 years. When I started this job at the same time, I also started at a restaurant on the next block over. I only lasted at the restaurant for 2.5 shifts before I realized how problematic the place was and quit mid-shift. Being that we're a fun bar and open late, employees of aforementioned restaurant frequent my bar on the regular and they have a well-earned reputation for just being crappy in general. Some examples of crappy behavior include, but are not limited to, puking in the sink, puking on the bar, being generally loud and obnoxious, punching my manager in the face when a tab couldn't be paid. One time their general manager had a bottle of pungent liquor that they were going to gift to somebody later. Now it's illegal to bring outside alcohol into a bar and they know this, but being that they weren't intending on drinking it, and because they were the restaurant's general manager, I let it slide. The liquor ended up breaking on the floor, leaving the bar floor sticky until cleaned and pungent smelling even after being cleaned. Now for the short story after that long intro, recently someone who I assume is a server at the restaurant just started and has been coming in. The last time this person came in, he didn't tip, counted the money twice, checked to make sure it wasn't sitting next to him on the bar, nothing, no tip. He even gave exact change down to the penny to sort of rub it in that he wasn't tipping. There's no way he doesn't have cash, he was in uniform. 
so he just got off his shift. From anybody who works for tips, this is a huge slap in the face and I'm not exactly sure what we did to pee him off, but I wasn't going to ask. I do have one coworker who will ask people why folks didn't tip, but it's not my style. I've done this before for various reasons, but it's been a few years, but I relish doing it every chance I get. It's after last call and the server is sitting at the bar and has already finished his vodka lemonade and has two people on either side of him so he's in the middle of five people. I very methodically pour up four shots and give them to each person who's sitting next to him and tell them thanks for being great customers. They thank me, all whilst he doesn't make eye contact. I say cheers and walk away with a crap-eating grin. So you don't have to tip your bartender, but you might have to watch all your friends have fun after last call without you if you don't. Cheers. Not gonna lie, stories like this and just the frustration of figuring out how to tip and not be a jerk has always just left me feeling like tipping is such a dumb thing in general. Not the act of it, but the fact that it's a necessity because these people rely on it for their wages. I just think everybody should be paid a reasonable wage and not have to worry about tipping. I'd rather my bill be slightly more expensive to account for the fact that everybody working in that place gets an actual wage rather than having to tip. Our next story is, I'll only be a minute. I pulled into the local Wawa because I had a tire that needed air. As I was driving up to the air pump, a woman was backing into the bay. Figuring I would have to wait until she finished putting air into her tires, I put the car in a park. But instead of filling her tires, she got out and walked toward the store. I politely pointed out that her parking spot was for the air pump. In a very snotty voice, she said, I'll only be a minute. So I backed my car up so that my rear bumper was a few inches from the front of her car, essentially making it impossible for her to pull out until I moved my car away. Then I got the air hose and moved one of my tires but waiting until she was out of the store and headed to her car before I started putting air into my tire. Excuse me, you're blocking me in, she shouted at me. I smiled and said, I'll only be a minute. It took me almost five minutes to check the air pressure, give it a puff of air, check the pressure again, etc. And all four wheels needed attention. I could see her in her car on her cell phone and hear her complaining the whole time. When I finished, she started up her car as I was putting the air hose back. Then I realized I needed coffee. As I was walking away, she screamed at me to move my car. I just smiled and said, I'll only be a minute. I mean, it's bad enough when people like this use those parking spaces they have no business being in, like a handicap one or the ones that are for like expectant mothers or even like first responders or police but to also take up a spot that literally isn't even a parking spot, it's a service spot, is just extra annoying. Our next story is, ice cream man stiffed my kid. My kid ran outside to get an ice cream from the ice cream man. Kiddo returned a little sad. I asked what was wrong. She said I asked the ice cream man for my change. He gave me this lollipop and drove off before I could say anything. My kid doesn't like lollipops. Even if she did, it wouldn't have been a fair trade, not by a long shot. Anyway, I drove over to Costco and bought a few boxes of ice cream bars. For the next few weeks, my kid shared ice cream with all of the kids on our side of the neighborhood. My kid made some new friends, and no one on our side of the neighborhood bought from the ice cream man during that time. Unintended side effect, when we ran out, other parents started chipping in and provided snacks for the kids who played outside. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. 
That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I haven't lived in an area where there was an ice cream man coming by for a long time, but this story just definitely took me back. I remember one time I ran up to the ice cream man who managed to get like the extra street over and one of the ice creams was like a dollar sixty or something and I had like a dollar thirty and I'm like well I can go back and get change. The guy clearly kind of grappled with it but eventually they just gave me the ice cream anyways. It was really nice of him looking back on it but I could tell he really kind of wasn't happy about it. Our next story is don't like my RV in an empty field? Fine, I'll park it outside your front yard. This was months ago, but I love thinking about it. At the time, I was doing the RV life thing, and my parents bought a house with an acre flower field next to it. The plan was for me to live on the acre for the winters when I'd visited. I parked it in the very back of the property, far away from anyone, and literally had someone coming in that week to put in fencing. Cue Karen, the neighbor across from us. She complained that it was an eyesore and called the city to complain and unfortunately I was not allowed to be living in an RV legally on that empty plot. For some reason, however, I could if it was parked on developed land. Some weird bureaucratic city nonsense where the field was not allowed to be developed, and the only legal-slash-practical place was directly in front of her yard in our driveway. So Karen got to enjoy my big, ugly RV for six months every time she came home or left. See, people like that Karen annoy me to no end. People like OP are just out here trying to make it and survive in an RV, not hurting anybody, literally not doing anything, and this Karen just goes, oh, I don't like seeing you, and gives them a hard time. For what? It's just all so dumb to me. Like, I could understand if OP was going around harassing them or doing some kind of weird behavior, but they're just existing. Our next story is, ex-girlfriend told me to re-download dating apps when we went on a break and I found someone. She then accused me of cheating. I'm still with the person I matched with almost a year later and very happy. This took place last year when I was 25. I'm 26 now. Shortly after SAing me, my ex out of the blue said she wanted a break. She said to re-download my dating apps, so I did. I eventually matched with someone and I broke it off for good. Turns out her plan was malicious. She screamed, threatened to come to my house, tried to get me to go over to hers, and then proceeded to tell me that she did this because she didn't think anyone would want me and that I'd come crawling back to her out of desperation. Turns out she initiated the break so she could see another man and come back to me when it didn't work out. She told me that she'd hoped the person I matched with would break my heart, but we've been together almost a year and we are happy. Honestly, I'm so happy for OP that this worked out so well. It's funny how overconfident they were about this situation. 
You can tell just from their assumption how controlling and manipulative they thought they were at least. You can definitely tell that they were in that relationship even beyond the details that OP mentioned they did. I hope everything's so much happier with their new partner. This next story is, insist on buying me a drink after I've said no a hundred times? Wear it then. Y'all like my last one, so how about this? I had a girlfriend in college. I was a little older than her, but not by much. When she finally turned 21, I took her out to her first bar. We dressed up and did makeup. It was a whole affair. She was super excited for our date. I gussied up more than I usually would. Off-the-shoulder blouse, ankle-length skirt with slits that showed off most of my legs, stockings with stilettos, whole nine yards. The design of everything matched hers. I can't stress enough how obvious it was we were on a date. I know some people can be lesbian blind, so I made sure to pour on the romance for her so people would cut in as little as possible. And it worked. Mostly. Some really old guy, mostly bald and had a cane, kept pestering me all night. Let me buy you a drink. I insist, let me get you something. Whatever you'd like, I'll get it for you. He was like a vulture, constantly circling where we'd been seated. He'd always try to touch my hand, arm, or shoulder. He even came up behind me when I was getting a refill and touched the small of my back while inappropriately commenting on my outfit. I made a point that I was there on a date with my girlfriend, and his response was, What's the harm in some fun? Nasty. So, my girlfriend was asking to leave, noticing how irritated I was getting, when suddenly, I was calm. I had the perfect idea how to deal with the old creep. The next time he came over, I gave a heavy sigh and said, Fine, you can buy me a drink if it means you'll leave me alone. I gave my girlfriend some cash and asked her to close our tab, then be ready to go while the old creep went and requested the drink he'd been hounding me for all night. He came back, proudly presenting a shot of who knows what. Smelled minty but was dark. Maybe Jaeger? My girlfriend was waiting on the side, watching. I took the shot from him and asked, So it's mine? You're giving this to me? He nodded excitedly. I can do with it what I wish since it's mine? Idiot nodded again and insisted it was mine. I poured that shot on his shoes. Next time someone, especially someone your granddaughter's age, tells you no and to leave them alone, you should do so. Maybe you won't be wearing your booze. I proceeded to grab my girlfriend and rush out, leaving him screaming about kids these days while trying to follow us. He couldn't hobble fast enough, so it got left at that. The shock and anger on his face after I got his shoes wet is satisfaction enough. I think we can pretty much all agree that this old creep kinda had it coming. Honestly, if not for his creepy behavior, just for ruining this whole entire night that somebody was trying to have fun. Our next story is an attorney's dream case. My parents versus the bank. In 1973, my parents had enough money to build a little ranch house in the country. The small bank in town approved the mortgage and the bank signed a contract to give Bob the money to build the house. Bob, as it turns out, was overbooking himself all over town, leaving his clueless minions to do the actual work. The build took longer and longer, with more and more work having to be ripped out and redone. We're not talking about using the wrong color paint or nailing up some wonky trim here. The architect forgot to fully erase a line on the blueprints, and the framers built a wall through the bathtub. My mother was told, 
don't put anything heavy in the kitchen cabinets because they were attached to the drywall, not the studs, using a few roofing nails through the back of each cabinet. The garage door opening was framed into the living room instead of towards the driveway and so on. When the Binks representative showed up for a final inspection, my parents met him in the front yard and refused to sign off on Bob's work. The representative became angry as the bank had paid Bob a lot of money. He strode to the front door and pulled on the doorknob, whereupon the entire door, casing included, fell on him. It had simply been wedged, not nailed, into place. The bank called Bob, who finally showed up to supervise the work himself. The only problem was that Bob wasn't any better at building a house than his minions were. My parents still refused to sign off on the house. My mother was a stay-at-home mom in a nasty rental with two tiny children, while my dad was working two jobs while this was going on. Throughout the entire process, the bank and Bob treated them very poorly, bullying my mom and lying to my dad. What should have been an exciting time for my parents was ruined. My mom cried a lot, my dad got depressed. Finally, the bank threatened my parents with foreclosure and Bob threatened to sue my parents for breach of contract because the bank refused to pay him any more money. So my exhausted parents went to an attorney and gave him the rundown. Plumbing, electrical, tiling issues, the whole sorry mess. My parents were scared. All they had was their small down payment savings. So if this became a lengthy court battle, the bank and Bob would win. The attorney Tom was kind, but my dad said he could tell that he and mom were doomed from Tom's facial expressions as he sorted through the paperwork. Then, abruptly, Tom smiled. Let's get everyone together for a meeting. He told my parents, tomorrow. So my parents, Tom, the bank's representative, the bank's attorney, Bob, and Bob's attorney met at the bank. Tom didn't give anyone else time to begin. He said, well, my clients have decided that they no longer want this house please remove it. Everyone else starts to laugh. Remove it? Have you lost your mind? Tom, in a sweeping theatrical gesture, placed a deed on the table. My clients own the land the house is sitting on outright. They no longer want the house. Get the house off my client's land. Bob's attorney stared at the deed and then turned and stared at Bob. You built a house on land you don't own? Bob nodded. The bank's attorney started yelling at the bank's representative. You didn't finance the land the house is on? The representative stammered, uh, no. Tom said firmly, as I said, gentlemen, you're trespassing on my client's land. I expect the house to be removed and the land returned to its original state at once. My dad said he'll remember the blank looks everyone on the other side of the table passed to one another for his whole life. Sure, the bank could foreclose on a house that wouldn't exist by the end of the week with no way to recoup the money. They didn't even own the land it was on. Bob was out the 50% he'd paid out of pocket. Plus, he was on the hook for tearing the house down and removing it. On top of that, the bank would undoubtedly want him to repay the initial 50% they'd given him. Could they have gone after my parents? Sure. A foreclosure would have meant bad credit for my parents moving forward. They might lose their down payment, but to sign off on the house and its condition at that time would have meant thousands and thousands of dollars in cash to replace and repair everything from the roof to the basement before the house could be safely lived in. The bank knew my parents didn't have that kind of money. They're the ones who approved the mortgage. Suddenly, my parents were good people. 
It was all such a misunderstanding, and the bank and Bob couldn't do enough for them. The house was brought in line with the original blueprints and specifications immediately, at no extra cost to my parents, but at considerable cost to Bob. My parents signed the mortgage, Bob got the rest of his money, and just about broke even on the build. The bank's representative was fired, and Tom, attorney extraordinaire, got a stinging tale of triumph to recall to fellow attorneys for the rest of his life. Before you question this tale, please remember that 1973 was 50 years ago. Banks did things differently back then. Smaller rural banks in particular were not run the same way the bigger city banks were. There were far fewer federal regulations, and in a smaller community, people didn't always follow them anyway. I'm pretty sure they don't always follow them now. Yes, they built a wall through the bathtub. No, I'm not making that up. I even left out how a plumber left his lunch bag on a partially built kitchen cabinet, but the cabinet maker didn't feel it was his job to move the bag, so he left it there and built the rest of the cabinet around it. I don't know where Bob found these people, but they were gems. Every one of them. Attorneys like Tom are the ones that keep moving up higher and higher because they're those creative minds that literally see ways to go around what's there. It seemed like a clearly hopeless situation, but as soon as they got this creative idea, they ran with it and it worked out so well. Our next story is a lawyer's pro-revenge on a wife beater. Let's call him Joe. I have to call him something, the man I ruined, but I can't call him by his real name, so let's call him Joe. Joe was a wife beater. I was hired by Joe's brother-in-law, the brother of the wife that Joe beat. My client was also Joe's ex-business partner. Aside from the whole you beat up my sister thing, my client had another beef with Joe, a serious business beef. My client took it to court and gave me the case to handle. Joe and his lawyers fought me long and hard. Joe was confident that his bull and his outright perjury would carry the day. It had always worked before. His bull and his fists had won him a good settlement with his ex-wife, free of child support. So maybe he thought that threats and lies would carry the day once more, but he was wrong. And after the trial, I had a judgment against him, a big judgment, far bigger than he could pay. Joe twisted and he turned and he shimmied and shaked. But after a while, I'd located and taken all his assets. It was easy, really. Joe had no thought of consequences. And so he didn't lawyer up until it was too late. If one of my clients ever sues you, you're in trouble. Because my clients lawyer up before they even know your name. But Joe didn't lawyer up until the process server threw the papers at his feet, and by then it was far too late. I went through Joe's assets like a meat grinder. And after a while, Joe had but one property left, a house, and he clung to that house, for it was rented out and his sole source of income. Joe lived in the unfinished basement and he survived on what the upstairs tenants paid him. He cashed their rent checks at payday loan places, paying hefty fees, but it was worth it because he knew that I'd garnish any bank account that he opened. Joe managed to hide his rental place from me for a while because he owned it through a numbered company. But my investigator found him one day and followed him home. Joe self-repped his way through the next stage, which took a couple of years. While I punctured his corporate veils and his sad efforts at a fraudulent conveyance, but in the end, I had his last house. The house where he lived in the unfinished basement. Joe stepped out one day to get a pack of cigarettes, and when he came back, the sheriff had changed the locks. 
Can my client at least live in the basement? Joe's lawyer said to me pro bono, because by this point Joe had nothing to pay lawyers. I knew the pro bono guy, he practiced law nearby. As I was talking to him, I could see pro bono guy's office window across the parking lot from my office tower window. Ask the purchaser, I said. It's out of my hands. And it was. I told Joe's lawyer that the new owner, a nominee, one of my client's employees, wouldn't let him back into his crappy business apartment. Joe, a man who had owned this and that here and there all over town, had just lost the last thing he owned on earth. Except for his truck. He still had his truck left. Joe's truck was this big butt gas guzzling beast that he drove around in. It was too old and too frail to be worth seizing, so I let Joe keep it. And I was glad I did that, because now the truck was where Joe slept. Until he made a mistake and lost his truck too. He lost his truck the day I got a phone call from the tenants at the house that Joe used to own. He came back and parked his truck across the driveway, the tenant said, adding that Joe had gone nuts. He parked his truck there in a rage, out of spite, and then walked into town saying he'd be back later that day to sleep in his truck. Can you get around the truck, I asked? The tenant could not. The driveway was blocked. I called one of the tow truck guys that I used to defend back in my criminal lawyer days, and in a couple of hours that truck was gone and parked somewhere else, somewhere special, in accordance with my specific instructions. My guy wants his truck back, the pro bono lawyer said the next day when he called me. Not happening, I said. I stood in my office 15 floors above the parking lot and looked down to where I imagined my pro bono counterpart was standing in his office, facing the same lot. But you have no right to the truck, he said. He has no right to block a man's driveway, I replied. It was terrible, really. Standing up high, pronouncing words that took away a man's final asset, the last thing he owned on earth. I imagine this must be what God feels like before he strips a man of everything and sends him to heck. Are you really gonna make me go to court over this? Said pro bono guy. Do what you gotta do, I said. And pro bono guy said his client was coming in the next day to sign an affidavit and they were going to court to get the truck back. But I was unconcerned. The next day was bright and the sun was shining and it was 9am as I looked out the window and sipped my coffee. My phone rang. I picked up. It was pro bono man. Why didn't you tell me that Joe's truck was parked right outside my office? His voice was tight, and I could tell that he must have been shaking with anger. Is that so, I said, staring out at Joe's truck parked 15 stories below me. How careless of my bailiff to leave the truck where your client could easily take it back. I really must speak to him. Very funny. My client's going to sue. No, he isn't. He's going to get in that truck and drive away right now. I told my tow guy to fill up the tank, and he gave it an oil change too. Gratis. Tell your client to get in his truck and drive off, and that if I ever see that truck again, I'll seize it to satisfy the rest of my client's judgment. Pro bono guy tried to argue, but I was firm. Then I put the phone down and picked up my coffee. A few minutes later, Joe walked out of his lawyer's office and over to his truck. As he walked, I saw that there was no longer a bounce to his step. The joy had gone out of him. Joe wasn't the first guy I ruined, and he won't be the last, but he is the only one whose final ruin I witnessed from on high, from my office, and it was one of the most powerful experiences of my life, watching a man walk to his truck knowing that I had stripped him of everything else he had, and that he owed his possession of his last asset, his truck, to my mercy. 
Joe drove away, his big butt ancient truck spilling clouds of smoke from the exhaust. I was pretty sure I'd never hear from him again, and I never did. Honestly, I think this guy got out relatively easy. I mean, he was a monster and was still willing to show back up and stick his nose in a place it didn't belong and still managed to drive off into the sunset, albeit in a cloud of smoke, but still better than most people like him deserve. Our next story is literally going to dance on my ex's grave. When I was 18, I met a guy. He was handsome, smart, charming, and so I thought, dynamite in the sack. A few months later, I was miserable. It started with basic gaslighting and isolation, and then he punched me in the bicep. After that incident, it cooled down for about a month, but we were always fighting. He ordered me to study the Stepford Wives movie and be like them. When I failed, I was abused. He refused to work. Instead, he leached off of me and never having been part of a healthy relationship, I didn't know any better. In the final three years of our relationship, he used to hurt me within an inch of my life. My final interaction with him is something that I carry with pride, even to this day. He tried to unalive me with his bare hands and I fought back. Due to fighting back, I had to have facial reconstructive surgery and the local police nicknamed me Tiger. It was a long legal battle to get justice, and after six years of cooperation with the DA, they dropped charges because of my PTSD. Let me tell you, that sucked. I'm now married with an amazing daughter and sometimes emotionally stupid husband. I learned two years ago that he, my ex, unalived himself while in police custody after being arrested yet again for domestic violence. My husband and I are making a trip back to the area this winter and my husband knows where the ex's grave is located. Guess who just promised me a full dance on that grave? My hubs might not be perfect in wanting a magazine cover model, see my previous post in that, but you can't buy the kind of closure he's offering. Definitely love that man. Sorry if any of this is confusing, it's late and my daughter is driving me bad crap crazy during her bedtime routine. Still, I feel like this is amazingly petty. Hey, maybe that guy should just be happy that, in some way, now that he's gone, he's going to be remembered for something, albeit that he was a monster worthy of getting his grave danced upon. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.